Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost and Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who slept through most of the important events of his life. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and I, man, I wish that weren't true. <laughs> yeah, I like sleep. Yeah, uh, who doesn't, man? But also, I just need sleep. Pat, before we get into this week's movie, I do want to talk about our Patreon for a minute. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criteria. You can head over there to help keep us going. It's just a dollar a month. You get access to a bonus episode. We do a non-criterion film over there. Supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch from a list of uh, five movies, four that are themed, and the fifth one is always Kazam, the 1996 oh, good old Kazam. It's a great movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, when else will you see a person turn into a basketball? Except for yeah. in a movie I watched pretty recently. What was that? I don't know. Uh, and I don't think we should take the time to figure out. We've watched a pretty eclectic mix of, of movies over there, pro- possibly even more eclectic than the actual Criterion Impossible. Collection. Uh, which, don't which even the audience, Adam. Even as I say, in the last, in the last two <laughs> weeks, has, has facilitated uh, violently. So, um, I mean, that's the thing, yeah. right? Is that like somehow I think it actually is impossible to be more eclectic than the Criterion Collection. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just it doesn't seem like a thing that should be possible. But yeah, we try. We try our best. <laughs> you can access to all those bonus episodes. There's uh, there's over sixty, I think, over there now. Uh, so uh, we've been doing that doing that for a good long time too. Um, that's monthly, except for December, of course, uh, because our bonus episode in December is our annual holiday episode that goes out on the main podcast. Uh, and we just don't feel like doing two bonus episodes. Why would we do that? We're that's too much immensely work. Immensely lazy people is uh, is an important <laughs> we thing are. to understand about us. It's true. It's true. Um, that's all the one dollar mark. A little above that for five dollars uh, for folks who can afford to help keep us going a little bit more. Uh, we like to thank them on air. Or maybe there's just money burning a hole in your pocket. Yeah, thank you so much to those people who have uh, burned that money our way, uh, <laughs> including Eric Coronado, Stephen Goldmeyer, Chris Otto, and Andrew Jarrett. Yes, thank you. Uh, a bit above that, a bit above that, we do something that is pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and once a month send that off with a personalized thank you note to our $10 and above supporters. I'd also like to thank those folks on there. Thank you to Adam Speakerman, Tracy McGrath, Nina Bajnak, Jason Westhaver, and Patrick Yako. Yes, thank you very much. And please continue to enjoy your postcards that will all basically look the same because I've gone full brackage on this. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you want to see those postcards and find out if you might cancel them in the future... <laughs> Uh, but if you want to see them before you even sign up for them, you can head it over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there, and you can see uh, many of the past postcards. We try to put them all up for sale on a little bit of a delay so that our supporters can see them first. Unfortunately, occasionally, we do get challenged uh, through copyright claims, and the process of fighting that is 
just too much. Well, <laughs> Redbubble is not fair, interested in doing it. Redbubble yeah. says, "Do you want to fight it?" You say yes, and they say, "Ah, tough shit." <laughs> yes, we're not going to do essentially the process. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, if you have had uh, had had copyright claims against them that uh, are dumb and illegal, so I I personally am a beautiful flower who has never done anything wrong, and as such. Uh, I have not broken those copyright laws. Well, they are I mean, all fair I, use. legitimately, I, I, none of the ones that have been taken down are the ones that are that are even remotely approaching <laughs> copyright infringement. Right, 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 right. Like, yes. oddly enough, the ones that are definitely borderline copyright infringement uh, are still up. Have not so, been challenged whatsoever. Yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, you can head over to redbubble.com search for Lost in Criterion to check those out. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who has purchased anything from Redbubble. Thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And thank you to you for listening. Yes, thank you. Pat. Yes. This week, Adam. we are finally beyond the Stan Brackage you, box you set say such that we spent the last six weeks you. doing. No. Uh, in fact, Until... I just went back and rewatched Brackage. I didn't watch whatever movie you suggested. For <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Um, so, I mean... I assume someday the Criterion Collection will put out by Brackage and Anthology Volume 3. I mean, there's uh, prob- I mean, there's enough material, right? Like, I mean, in theory... We know that there's enough material. Yeah, in theory, yeah. you could just keep doing this forever, probably. Um, right. Uh, but we are, we are following that up. The very next spine number is Close Up from 1990, directed by uh, Abbas Kirstrama. Um. Our last Kirostrami film was Taste of Cherry, which was many years I, ago. Yeah, I mean, um, I remember it being good, but I do, I barely remember it. I remember, like, driving in the desert in car in a car. That's basically my only yes. memory of that movie anymore. That is, that is because that is basically what happens in okay. the movie. It is, well, it is three I'm different cars over the course of the film, but it is a series of conversations all taking place in the front seats of cars, basically, with very limited amounts of time outside the car. Uh, that one was from 1997, I believe. So this okay. is an earlier work. Um. And it is a very fascinating one. Uh, oh, yeah. so I mean, fascinating docu- is, is a is, is underselling. <laughs> Incredible understatement. Yeah, uh, it's it's described as docu fiction, um, and and even that takes some unpacking because it is in parts documentary and in parts fiction, and sometimes the parts that are documentary are. I mean, in all seriousness, but, but like. There, is it is it fiction or is it? My question becomes: Is it fiction or? I mean, I understand that this is still fiction, but or is it sort of essentially historical reenactment? Because it seems like in the scenes that are shot as film, they are just doing live reenactments yes. of the things that actually basically happened. Yeah. Well, this is this is where the movie gets very philosophically interesting. Uh there's the ship of Theseus question of whether or not the same exact people, because it is the people who were involved yes, in the I, real yes, events playing yes. themselves. Right. If the same exact people are doing the same exact things yes. over again, uh, is that reality or is that a reenactment? I, I mean, I don't think there uh, actually is a ship of Theseus question. It is not real. <laughs> it is, it is right. reenactment, but I don't, I mean, when I think your goal is to reenact the thing as 
relatively accurately as possible. I don't think fiction is exactly yeah. a fair word well, to be employed. I also I also don't know that it was Kira Strauma's... Let me start that sentence over again. I also don't know that it was actually Kira Sostrama's, uh intention to portray them accurately. Right, but then, uh, like, when you with the interview with um with uh, Zab, uh Sabzian, he describes it as basically being what happened. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right? He right. doesn't like. There's, I mean, in the in the in the bonus features, he describes yes. the movie as being, for all intents and purposes, an accurate telling of right. the story. Um, he didn't right. like. I mean, he may he makes so, in the in the in the bonus materials he makes bones about sort of whether or not he is still essentially being used by yes. other people, uh, which is a he makes a lot of very valid arguments about what's happening, what has happened, and will continue to happen to him apparently. But like, he never really makes bones about it being like not a true telling of the story. Right, 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 and it's sort of him who we have to trust here, but. Well, I mean, he's in, essentially in the only question one without we have any not... meaningful motive at this point because, like, right, he doesn't really have, like, a reputation to maintain because it doesn't seem like this movie made him famous or anything. Right, right. I think that's fair, too. Um, where I think there is more complication to it is that we have not, since F4 Fake, had a documentary... Uh, where the director's hand is so clearly at the wheel. I mean, I uh, would argue that the thing this reminded me most closely of is what was the movies made in, was it Spain or was it Portugal? I'm getting so confused. Oh, Life has been so... You're thinking Portugal. You're thinking yeah, of the, the Fontenhas box yes, set. Yes, yes. Feel, yeah. This feels very similar. I mean, this to me, honestly, and this, I'm not. this is no shade on that movie per se, but like... This feels like a more interesting and, and competent version of that in a lot of ways. Yeah. The reason I say that is yeah, because I think like, that's fair. It, it plays on the dynamic of the documentary versus reality better than those did. Those those you couldn't tell, whereas here you can see what was recorded in one way and what was recorded in another way. It just doesn't actually elucidate anything for you. You, you know what I mean? In that other one, you couldn't tell at all because it was just all looked the same and it was impossible, but like... This one, yeah, I mean, I can tell the difference, but, like, I don't know the answers. So yeah. I And I think that's just an interesting thing to pull off. I think it's extremely competent as far as that's concerned. Yeah. Depending on who we choose to trust okay. in describing this movie, it can go a few different ways. Okay. There is, I don't know if it's conflicting or okay. just inconsistent. A uh, description of when exact what exactly here is pure document and what isn't. Okay. Kirosama says, for instance, that the the jailhouse interview uh-huh. was recorded live when it happened. Okay. Yeah. That seems uh, to look that way. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, many of our scenes are post fact recorded. Right. Uh reenactments um including our opening scene any any scene taking place before his arrest uh would have to be by its nature because our director didn't know about (laughs) the story until after the man's arrest yes um 
whether or not the uh, the court proceedings as presented right. are reenactment or the live actual court proceedings is up. I mean, my, my question about that is, yes, I totally, yes, I would agree. But does any, but, but at the same time, does any party argue that they are not? I don't, I have not encountered any party that argues that they're not. So what I mean is, is Where, given the nature that like, there's no f- f- current evidence that it is fake. Yeah. And it is shot in the same way that. In a very similar manner to the things that we that we are also taught or we are told to assume are real. Yeah, it feels well where like it should be real. Where we can where we can look and assume it's fake is that we hear Kirstrama's voice asking questions of the defendant I during think, I think court proceedings. We, yes, yeah, but I don't think that inherently makes it fake. <laughs> I mean, it is fake in the sense that like we've got a Maisel's situation here where the the hands like really hard on the tiller here on the on the till yeah. but like I, what i uh what i mean is like that doesn't make it fake it just makes it not purely authentic to what would ha- if it's happening live it's not even actually like it's actually not even a recounting it's the actual thing happening which means that it's even a different thing than a documentary where like you're prompting your audience for a certain story or something. It's just him, like, being in somehow having inserted himself into the court proceedings and taken over. Right. (laughs) Right. Which is is where it gets weird, right? I mean, it gets weird, but it doesn't make it fake. If it's not a reenactment, why would he? Yeah. If it's not a reenactment, why would he be allowed to do that? Well, same, but flip, if if it is a reenactment, why leave your voice in? Right. No, that's I, fair too. I think it is real. I think what we're experiencing here is a very, very different kind of court proceeding that is so yes. different than what you and I are accustomed to that like it feels insane, but is not necessarily wrong. You, you, you yes. know what I mean? It doesn't make it fake. It just makes it hyper like major cultural differences, right? The judge doesn't, if that is the real judge, which we don't have yes. any reason to assume it's not, has given him a lot of leeway to kind of do what he wants. Obviously, partially it might be because the judge, if it is the real judge, says very clearly, this is not a high-priority case. Like, this is not an important... Right. Like, the crime is minor at best. You know what I mean? Like, we know how much... Uh, like. In the grand scheme of things, uh, I think it was, are they called Tomans? Is worth because it costs you five to get into a football game, right? It costs you. Well, it costs you five to get into a football team ten years before this. So right, <laughs> I, I, but what mind. I what but. I mean, but that gives you a good. Well, actually, about more like twenty almost, right? Because right? Right, it's right. like seventy four. My point is, is we understand that that is not a crazy amount of money that he borrowed slash right. stole. Right, right. He stole. He did. He committed petty crime. At at, yes. at at the very maximum, and the judge kind of acts accordingly, right? Like uh, this is a case for a petty crime. He yes. and I don't know if the, if all cases in this in this court system work this way because we don't. I don't have any knowledge about how that court system works. But he right. multiple times can like essentially kinds of like can we like not spend all day on this? Can you guys just like for yeah. like pardon him and then we can like 
I'll give him right, the minimum right. sentence and we'll just all move on. <laughs> yes. Yes. The judge the judge is very intent on uh the the family that has been uh deceived forgiving our deceiver. Uh yeah, because he realizes this is all very silly. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and and so I mean it, to me it seems like that is I I can see a world where when your judicial system maybe works a little bit different than the one we're accustomed to, maybe because the judge maybe to a certain extent doesn't feel like he needs to, like, maybe doesn't feel like he needs to dominate in the same way that, like, American right. court proceedings do, where, like, decorum is of the utmost importance or something like that. Maybe he's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, Ob- hey, I let you. Obviously, this is a very limited yeah, I have case. no idea. I have no idea. But, but also, I also think it's just very fascinating to see a court case happen uh, with a religious judge in Iran after the revolution. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that is uh, just incredibly very <laughs> with with the judge begging the plaintiffs to drop their case. Essentially, it's just very. very yeah, I mean, interesting I found me I, yes, too. the court proceeding is. And I have no idea if it's real, like if it's real, if it's accurate. I mean, yeah. I don't have any reason to believe it's not. Well, but this is this is also a film where where the question isn't just of what is reality and what isn't, but it's a question where Abbas Kiyosami is actively proving Hussein Sabzian's abilities or or or. Yeah, right, the method right, by which yeah. he did this, right? Because this is this is Kirstami uh, rolling in with the to fulfill the promise that Hussein Sabzian had made in his uh, in his fraud, right? He, right, right. He said, "Oh, I'm, I'm a famous director. I'm going to get you in a movie," uh, and they were in a movie. And right, in being in that like, movie. It, and a that, lot of but things, that's all very fascinating, right? Like, because that's yeah. not necessarily what Kiyosami's goal is. Kiyosami's goal is. I, I don't know that it's not. It, but I, we um, don't know. We don't. I mean, like you right. watched the the interview with him. I he may have mentioned it yeah. directly, but like that may be also sort of just a happy accident of the whole thing that they all get to be in a yeah. movie. Um, because like Sabzian gets a little bit like gets very very philosophical about his role in this stuff uh yes. when 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 we get to the interview that ha- takes place with him i guess years later um yeah at least sometime and later he gets, he gets fairly philosophical in that same manner during the court proceedings oh yeah totally i mean he's a very from other s- things smart person <laughs> yeah but also from other things i've read uh what he says in the court proceedings were scripted by Kiristami. Well, but if that's true, was uh, that was the documentary fought, shot like five years later also scripted by Kiyostami? Because like I don't think that, so. Yeah, that seems less likely. And he I is think, as I insightful that, in that as he was in the court right. proceedings. Yeah. That five year documentary seems to be a a more real encapsulation of Sabzian's reality than this film is, right? Yeah, because that, I mean, that's just played as a straight, that is just a straight documentary. That is all it is. It is classic. I'm going to go around and interview all the parties involved. Right. See what right, they right. say about it. And that's just going to yeah. be it's what it is. It's a bit like 
Nathan for You, or maybe even more Nathan Fielder's newer show, uh, The Rehearsal. I have not watched. In that we are, we are just so metatextually neck deep into what is reality, right? <laughs> And, uh, you know, not not necessarily played for comedy here in the same ways, but definitely the same sorts of things going on of what is real and what isn't. Is this only happening because the cameras are there? I mean, uh, it's but, or, but you can ask that. Yeah, I mean, and, and of course, that's like the point, right, is that you can ask that question about right. anything that purports to be a documentary, right? Like anything that, right. that tells you it's the truth. You can you can yeah. f for fate. You can yeah. I mean, we watch that movie too. Like you know what I mean. It, like right. yes, you can always. Lie, films will and can can and will lie to you, but actually, right. not not necessarily those lies don't necessarily make the thing that they're saying not real. What yeah. they make it is not an, an accurate depiction of the world around you per se, but they can still say meaningful real things about people, right? Um, yeah. The, and one way or the other, this movie is about is more about talking about people. I I understand that it plays around with the notion of reality, but in much in much more significant way, is a movie about the relationships between people and the way that we treat each other. Yeah. No, I think it's playing it's playing with notions of reality, not just in relationship to notions of filmmaking. It's right. playing with notions of reality in relationship to the relationships between human class, human beings, and and classes uh, within a hierarchical system. Right? We are, you know, we are at its heart. We have a very poor man who barely holds down a job and is so in such financial dire straits that he's living with his mom and his wife has left and taken at least one of their children uh, by the time these events are happening, and he. Uh, is on the bus and a middle-class woman sits down beside him and says, oh, hey, what book are you reading? And he tells her and ends up claiming that he actually wrote it, and that thus makes him this famous filmmaker, uh, Mohsen uh, Makhmalbaf. Um, and then he goes on to pretend to be Makhmalbaf to this woman's family, and the woman's family are... Uh, he says it during the, the way Sabzian puts it during the court's hearing, I think, is is the most succinct way. And that's to say uh, they wanted to use knowing Makhmalbef, uh to gain prestige. Well, I mean, yeah, Whether, and, and he says that he, yeah. I, I think he actually like elucidates that even harder in the actual um, in the follow up documentary where he really yes, digs yes. into the idea that like their their intentions were as impure as his like yes you know in the grand scheme of it he says multiple times in that interview like yes i mean i did it i did a thing that was bad like i i committed a crime yeah. i did a bad thing but it's he is also looking for people to understand that like look like nearly everybody involved in this case was bad like did right. bad <laughs> things that are that are bad motivations like yeah, all the way up. I mean, in the in the documentary, he talks about. I mean, that family, their their motivation was entirely making themselves essentially not famous, but like, you know, prestigious. Uh, that yeah. that journalist operated entirely based on using him as a stepping stool to f- to fame and fortune, 
and Absolutely. even and even Kiyostama, Kiyostami was also like, I mean, it, it, it did end up using this to win a bunch of awards and become like even more world renowned. Whether right. or not this that was, was his intention when he started, that's still the result, yeah. and we can still see that, like, as as sort of pointed out, as I pointed out earlier, um, Sabsian doesn't appear to be any better off now than he was before. No, no. Um, his life is um, not noticeably better in any meaningful way. Yeah, I uh, guess he's not in jail. Yeah, anymore, and but, so that there's right. That. But the way the way he talks about what what fame he has gotten from the movie is infamy, not fame. Right. Right. He. Um, and the woman who talks in that documentary, who I believe is credited as his sister, I, I think so. Yeah, but, I think I I don't remember yeah. seeing it on screen, or at least I didn't notice it. But like I assumed it was yeah. his sister. The way she talks is very yeah, yeah. sister like. Um, right, as she as she points out, she's also a fairly intelligent individual. Uh, in speaking, um, you know, talking about uh, you know eighty eighty percent of humanity isn't going to get what's going on here either in right. the film or in the reality being described in the film. Um, but but those 20% uh, will admire Sabzian for what he did. And I, right. you know, I, I do admire Sabzian for what he did. No, I think it was I, a very I silly thing to like, have done. I mean, in the end, like, it, it, it was a very, fa- it, like, yeah, I mean, he's kind of, a much more sort of metatextual sort of Robin Hood kind of, I don't even know, not yeah. Robin Hood, like just sort but of very like that. very forging his own path, which like doesn't seem to be yeah. actually in the end, in the end working out for him. I, yeah, but. I trust Zobzian, Zobzian's description of what is going on here. Yes. And as such, I believe when he says he had no ill intent except to feel a little respect in life. Yeah, and, and he kind of goes back and forth. He has a really interesting relationship with his own thoughts on that, right? He goes kind of back and forth in the court and then later about how far he would have gone with the deception. Because yeah. in yeah. the end, the heart of the reason why he was doing the deception is he does want to make a movie. And so if they had gone oh, yeah. as far as to give him the money to make a movie, he seems very... Not, he doesn't make it 100% clear, but it seems pretty likely that, yeah, he would have made a movie. Like... Right. <laughs> because, like, that's a dream of his, and, like, it would have been under false pretenses, but he wouldn't have, like, just run away with the money. Yeah. You know. So th- the Criterion essay that accompanies this is by Godfrey Cheshire, who wrote books on Abbas Kirstrama, or <laughs> I keep saying ah, who wrote books on Abbas Kirstrami and um, traveled to Iran to interview both uh, Kirostami and uh, Makhmabaf. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about there being sort of conflict in the background material for this too. Um, Makhmabaf claims that he showed up coincidentally for a meeting with uh, with Kirostami that's with the magazine, <laughs> with the magazine in hand, uh, Kirstami claims that the magazine was already in his office and had he had already read the news story. Yeah, I don't, I don't uh, necessarily trust this. those two. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't trust either of those guys. Yeah, really, exactly. Right? I mean, uh, 
these are men who make fiction for a living. Uh, can't trust them at all. Um, but uh, in any case, the the story as it goes there is that they discussed this magazine article one day, the day it had come out, and immediately went to the Ankaha's house to meet them, the family. Okay. Uh, and hung out with them all night, drinking tea and talking about what had happened. Uh, and <laughs> uh, Godfrey Cheshire's sentence here, to paraphrase Makhmalbaf's conclusion, by evening's end, Kirasami had bamboozled everyone into, into participating in the film uh, with himself as director. Uh, and he pivots that to talk about how you know everyone's bamboozling everyone in this movie. Uh, right. That is the the defining characteristics of this movie. The the uh, yeah, I mean yeah, like yeah, journalist and, is bamboozling the you know you've essentially and talks said about that, that as already. Well. Like, right, everybody's conning everybody in this movie. Yeah, like in, not in the movie, but like also just in real life. Like they are all just conning each other. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> um, it is interesting, but, just a, just a funny side note, not actually funny, but, um, the poster, the copy of the poster of the movie behind the sister is the Japanese version of the poster. Oh, interesting. I yeah. Just, I, I didn't, was like, I didn't notice I was that. like, I was watching it and, you know, she gets interviewed long enough that I'm like, like kind of like scoping out the scene around her and I'm like, wait a minute, the poster's in Japanese, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. Um, I wonder, I wonder why that is. I wonder I mean, if, I, 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 I have noticed uh, in the grand scheme of things, uh, well, a I don't know how many how many theaters like worldwide this would play would have played in, like when it first released. I don't know, uh, but also I I have found that people tend that it is not uncommon for people to put up the Japanese version of the poster because like it seems the most the most distant possible place <laughs> for your film <laughs> to have played. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Cheshire's Cheshire's essay also um, gets more into the reality of or the irreality of the uh, of the court scene um, in claiming that it was the actual court scene as as filmed and that somehow Kiristami had maneuvered himself into being well i mean he uh, seems to be a pretty master con man right like he it right, seems to right. be one of his one of his defining traits seems to be the ability to get people to do what they what he wants them to right, right? which of which of course as as well as teaches us in effort fake is the uh the pinnacle of directorial greatness right the ability to do that right, right. um to be a con man uh because that's what that's what true storytelling is just conning um yeah yeah uh the interview with Kirastrama on close up uh which was filmed in 2009 uh he also talks about what is and isn't real in much the same terms as what uh Cheshire discusses um they don't conflict at all uh he does have a great line in there in saying that uh, this this is my film closest to a Dostoevsky novel, that it's okay. about human suffering, uh, which uh, is interesting to to think about 
how on the level he is in in <laughs> talking about his approach to the movie in that way, right? Right. Um, because it's also from the essay, at least, uh, the entire end sequence is scripted. Even the audio problems were that post-production choices. That, that, that seems not... That, uh, what am I trying to say? That doesn't seem far-fetched to me. Right. And also, it's very obvious in what happens in that end sequence that uh, there have been storytelling choices happening, right? Because right. we get the mirror of the flowers. We had the in the opening scene, uh, just as the opening credit, uh, the title card comes, uh, we have the taxi driver while everyone is inside doing the arrest, he is outside plucking flowers from a trash heap and kicking that aerosol can, which is a phenomenal <laughs> image yeah. of the aerosol, the camera falling the aerosol can rolling down the street. is very, very interesting. Um, and very, very weird that we're watching that while this very important to the story arrest is taking place that we'll see later, but we only see the aftermath of. Uh, so it's also curious from a messing with film expectation at that point too right right uh, well but and then it, it, it paints an interesting picture because it, it it sort of tells us pretty early on in the movie that like what's happening inside isn't actually all that important like it's important right, right. because it is the it is the crux of the story but it's not it's not really important like not just because you're going to see it again, but also because, like, it all kind of amounts to nothing. Like, in the grand scheme of things, it it's it's a lot of going on It's it, about kind of nothing, right? Like, in the end, right? Like, it's... Yeah. The police are there. It's, it's, it's very sort of an extreme response to a very not extreme situation. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. And and he's yeah. sort of just playing with uh, which, the idea of like you don't need to actually see what's happening in there because like in the end it's not like you know what's happening in there just even from audio. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um which I think is where the judge becomes the most fascinating character in this for me is that it's obviously it's a very absurd situation and he knows it's an absurd situation. So whether whether his reaction is because of the camera's influence because it, it of definitely might Kiristami's be, yeah. influence or just because he realizes this is an absurd thing that he doesn't want to waste his time on. Right. Well, and it <laughs> those are all, all equal possibilities, things. right? And they can all be true at the <laughs> yeah. same time, right? Like that's also fair. You yeah. know, the reason if it's real, the reason he might choose to let the camera in, in the first place is that like, this is stupid and it's not like, this is in no way an impactful or meaningful case where like, where like I might actually want to not have cameras in the courtroom. Right. Right. Uh, you know, nobody's going to get sentenced to, you know, death or, or put in jail for their whole life for what happened here. Like, it's very clear that that's not going to happen. Um, right. And then you combine that with the fact that, like, you know, he's part of the con, too, right? In the sense that, like, he's clearly kind of wants to be on camera, too, right? He he wants right. he wants to eat up some of that fame and, and prestige as well, right? He's now the judge who was in that famous movie, right? Yeah, um, and he can be he can be the star of the court sequence, right? Right, and then and, and you know we we can talk about whether or not 
the camera being there affects him or not. But as we know, as we've talked about before, it's impossible that it didn't. Like, right. we'll, we'll never know what kind of person he is outside of the context of the camera being there because that's by the by the nature of suddenly now you have some sort of bias that's been introduced, right? right? Like, we it's impossible to know. Right, um, right. And this... This is refreshingly, perhaps, a uh, sort of docufiction that isn't claiming to be uh, ethnography in any any way. Right. No. Like, yeah. There's no <laughs> claim of that, and and part of that has to do with the fact that it it is a person focusing a camera on him on his own culture, which is where we really yeah. run into. That's where the words right. ethnography get trotted out most often, uh, in my experience, when it comes to to film. Um, yeah, he and but also yeah, he doesn't even pretend that he's not biasing the situation, right? Yeah. Like there's no pretense at all. It is very Yeah. I'm going to ask I'm going to literally interrupt the proceedings of this court and like ask questions because I want my film to contain information that is is good for my film. And right, maybe right. I scripted ahead of Kira, time. Kira Kirasami is approaching this as making a movie. Yeah. That's 100%, right? And he is, uh, that is clear both within and outside of the, uh, the actual piece. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas, you know, our, our question of, uh, the letters from Hansen House box set was whether or not Pedro Costa, um, really understood what he was doing. Because he always was presenting it as ethnography, even while he was directly clearly had his hand on the the very hands on, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And of course, that's you know, F for Fake is a jokey film, uh, but is at least one that is completely honest about having its hand on the rudder, right? Right. At least in the end. And I appreciate if you're going to make a document like in reality, as we can kind of like both agree. In reality, a, a a true, totally uninfluenced by the camera by our, our uh, documentary is essentially impossible. Uh, it, I mean, yeah. it is impossible. It's not even just essentially impossible. It's factually impossible. But um, so I always appreciate it when um, filmmakers don't try to pretend like they are somehow incapable of like avoiding the fundamental pitfalls of filming a person right. and then and then asking them to basically act normal uh yeah and i you know effort fake is obviously a movie we've watched before for the criterion collection yes. it's, a, it's a movie i love uh that i would make reference to anyway uh i am surprised that sobzian either within the film or within that follow-up documentary doesn't make direct reference to it himself because he does make direct reference to orson wells right um he well, talks about, I, you, uh, you know, but keep in mind, like, given, like, everything that's, ha- like, where and when they are, I mean, there's no guarantee that, like, what films he's even had access to or not, right, in his life. That's right. Fair. Like, he that's has, fair. he is very learned for, but, like, inherently the scope of what he could necessarily have watched could be quite limited, right? Like, yeah. Never mind well, the anything movies... like concerning censorship or something. He's not a very wealthy man. Yeah, and and like the... movies cost money, right? Like, so there's a limit to how the... many movies he could possibly have seen. 
Right. The films he talks about having seen were all Iranian films, right? You know, not just as a kid, but even as he grew Right. Up, I mean, you know, he makes references to other artists and stuff outside of Iranian yeah. film, but like when he talks about films he, he watched, they were Iranian right. films. Right. So when he talks about Orson Welles or Peter Falk and his kite and not growing up or, or that sort of thing, uh, it's more than likely he has read about them, not necessarily right. seen Yeah, them. he seems... Well read with regards to film. Like, I mean, he, multiple yeah. people, like this we know is not fake because over the course of the documentary and the movie itself, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 12 people make reference to him constantly reading film magazines. Right. Right. And constantly talking about movies to the detriment of his own work. Right. <laughs> as a as a book, as a book binder. Uh, though when we see him in action, he seems all right at it to me. I don't know. I'm no, untrained. I, I, but... think, I think the problem is, is that like, I, I assume it is a one of those sort of you should be content with your lot in life sort of deals. Of course. And, like, yeah. you know, he's not. He's not happy. And so he can right. do his job, but, like, he's going to, like, multiple people talk about him daydreaming all the time. And so that makes you bad at when you're not happy with your work and you daydream all the time, you tend to be bad at your job even though you are technically competent at your job. Yeah. I appreciate that we see his mother in the film and presumably that woman we have assumed to be his sister the way she talks about him in the documentary i mean uh, i guess it that could, neither I mean, of them i didn't see a side i guess it could have been his ex-wife i don't know it could have been i i feel like there was something that made me think it was his sister i did too um, i thought but so i don't too, but i don't actually remember seeing a like on-screen text saying yeah. that so yeah. i can't but neither of them it. neither of those family members be it be it his sister his ex-wife but also his mother are uh condemn him for his love of movies right no or condemn him for his daydreaming or condemn him for for wanting something that isn't what they are uh and you know that makes that makes sense we've got the other the lower class neighbors that we talk to are you know we're gonna work our way out of this hard yeah they're a little guys. bit harsher with him in, in the sense yeah. that they they seem to um look down on him for not sort of for his lack of content, not even lack of content, but lack of like what they consider acceptable desires for getting out of the current, their current situation. Yeah. They seem to be more of the, Hey, you should, you gotta, you gotta bootstrap your way out of this sort of, uh, right, ideas. right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we ever get any indication of what the father's job is his father uh, the oh not his father oh i mean the the anaka's father it's interesting because no we don't but like it's interesting because you refer to the middle class and that's probably accurate but they are they are like upper middle class they are right noticeably right. Wealthy both people like well okay they they have a large house in a gated community yes um they both of their sons have gone to college to be engineers. Yes. yes, neither of those sons have jobs in their field. Right, but well, but yeah. I mean, that's why I wouldn't class them as upper class. Right. But I mean, the just a presence of a lot of like finery and electronics, like n- new functioning yes. good electronics in the house. I mean, like they would be upper middle class in any place. Like, if I right, walked right, into right. that house in America, I would go, this is an upper-middle-class family. Yeah, their yes. their sons don't have 
jobs, but they can also afford for their sons to not have jobs and not make it a pressing issue, right? right? Like, right. one of the sons is actually does have a job, is apparently managing a bakery. It's just that, like, yes. the other son seems to look on, look down on that as, like, not yeah. his, uh, an appropriate right. job for and him. And then that conversation within the family is very delightful, too, because he's talking about, well, I, I have this engineering degree, and I have been able to have a job in my field, and I don't want to be like my brother, who also has an engineering who degree just sells and bread. bakes bread for a living. Sells yeah, bread, and then yes, the not like, even bakes bread. You know bread. he manages a bakery, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, he, and, the other, and the brother's like, yeah, there's no difference. Um, yeah. Well, Which and is what it seems also, to be is that, like, that, that, that brother looks down on his other brother for sort of just taking whatever job... You know, a good right. job that presented right. that itself. Is, that is an upper middle class conflation. That is that is what can a banana cost? Ten dollars. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and and also it's worth uh, noting that in addition to that, the other brother is is can afford and is a holding out for the job he wants, and then occasionally right. offhandedly refers to like maybe getting into the arts or something like that. Like yes, they are yes. they they are rich people with rich people problems. Right. Right, one hundred percent. Yeah. So even describing them as middle class is maybe not. Uh, yeah, I mean, accurate, I, I accurate, suspect right? actually they are. Yeah. I suspect in reality they are probably in a part of the upper class. Yeah. But I just don't know enough to say that definitively. Right, and I don't know enough about Iranian history. Yeah, I just I uh, de- I have I. That's why I'm not making it. Yeah. Like, right. We can definitely determine that they are at least upper middle class. Right. Right. At um, the bare minimum. Yeah, I don't know. Because we, we get we get Sabzian's neighbors in the documentary as a comparison point anyway. We see right. they're the area, like it's very clear that these two groups of people are not essentially sharing the same economic sphere in any capacity. Right, right. yeah. Um, Kiraro Stama himself does have a middle-class background. Uh, his parents... Um, were fairly well off, it's my understanding. Grew up in Tehran. Um, won a painting competition at 18. <laughs> okay. uh, and he had made, you know, he's born in 1940. He starts making films before the revolution. Um, and he makes films after the revolution. So he is someone who artistically survived the revolution and considering right. what the Iranian revolution was, that's interesting. <laughs> right. And I think uh, to a certain extent, some of that might be how good it like flim flamery right, he right, seems right. to be, but <laughs> right. also like, also I don't think, you know, his film that like, for example, this film, and again, I wish I could remember taste of cherry. I cannot at all. Yeah. Um, but like this film is, challenging but not in a way that would really like rock the boat in any real capacity like it sort of depends on what what it sort of depends on the nature of the state right and i don't know enough about iran either it just as a yeah. as a whole to say but like he's not like he's basically just saying at, at, at worst he's saying hey there's a there's a pretty good amount of people who are not doing very well um and that seems to be the sum total of the the worst possible message you could take away from this is, hey, there are some people who are pretty poor 
Uh, and like, and there are there are states that exist, and maybe Iran usually is one. I don't know. Uh, that like take that as a as an affront to their national identity in and of itself. But like, I mean, he's getting the movies made, so right. Clearly, there be the fact that there are there are poor and unhappy people in the country is not enough to get his movies. Yeah, get him kicked out of making movies. In contrast, uh, Mohsen Makhmabov is born 17 years after. Um, is so he's he's in his late teens, twenties during the revolution. So he's noticeably uh, younger than than yeah uh, Hirostami, right? Yeah, he was young. He was an Islamist, and he was uh, an active participant in the revolution. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he. By the time we get to him making the cyclist, which is the movie of his that that is mentioned the most in this. Um, he has realized some of the failures of the revolution has not left Iran, obviously, uh, but is exploring that through his art. And the cyclist is a, a story about an Afghan refugee actually. Um, and, in in very dire straits, um, it's kind of, it seems, it seems like the cyclist is sort of a, a play on. I've not seen it, but it seems like it's uh, from what I've read. It's sort of a play on uh, Bicycle Thief. Um, okay. It is Nasim, the main character. His wife is sick. He needs the money, so he agrees to. Uh, uh, if I'm reading this right, he agrees to sort of a publicity stunt of riding a bicycle in a circle for a week straight. Okay. In return for the money. Yeah. Okay. Um So, you know, that's <laughs> Wikipedia calls it a sports drama, which is very silly because I mean, it's obviously it an allegory Wikipedia. for <laughs> it's, it's an allegory for for uh, you know, the the circles one has to run to uh to make the money one needs to care for their loved ones, right? Um right, and, a sports and drama. perhaps explicit yeah, and and perhaps here even more explicitly of uh, exploitation of Afghan refugees, particularly right, right. within Iran, um, but it's exploitation of the lower class period. Uh, so yeah, uh, by this time he is more of a secular humanist. Kirastami has survived the revolution without necessarily changing who he is. Uh, Makhmalbef was a supporter of the revolution has realized maybe that wasn't the right thing for him and right. has gotten, gotten into very different ideological circles since. Um, so that's very interesting to me too. Just thinking about his song. I'd love to see more work from Mahmoud Bath. Uh, yeah, to be I, fair. I would be interested. Uh, I mean, I, yeah. I think like it's, you know, we, you know, Film from the Middle East in general is a hyper underrepresented category in the uh, Criterion yes. Collection, like intensely underrepresented. Like, I it's it's borderline doesn't exist. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would be happy to see anything that that um, 
either more of either of their works would be uh, anything by him would be neat, and and then like I would like to see more Kiyostami stuff too, because Kiyostami is is doing really funky stuff here. Like I I I like his willingness to play around with sort of reality as a whole uh, in the film, and and not in a way that I find like not in the way that I often find annoying. Um, if we're being honest, like we've seen enough films where like directors are playing around with reality and they. they it's a real fine line, and I don't know what the defining feature of a good or a bad one is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I have never been... I can't quantify it in my head exactly and say, like, oh, this is what makes a good one, this one makes a bad one. But there are the good ones and the bad ones for me of, of movies that do these kinds of things. This one's good. I feel it. I, I liked it. I enjoyed the experience of watching it. Um, whereas, you know, some of them, I walk away very unhappy. Um yeah. So I and I and again, uh, I have well, no idea what it is. I think it has to do with sort of the way the the artist presents it um, to to us. Yeah. Within the Criterion Collection, we'll eventually see nine Iranian films. Okay. Uh, seven of them are from Kurosami. Yeah. See that uh, that also feels like its own sort of Criterion thing, right? Like, well, we picked. Yeah. We picked this guy. He's our dude. Um, that's what you're gonna get. <laughs> Kind of, kind of feeling yeah. a little bit, you know. Right. Uh, none of them are works by uh, Mahmoud Baf, or his yeah, daughter. Yeah. Actually, is a pretty well regarded uh, Iranian filmmaker now, from what I've read. We're talking about this on a week where there are uh, revolutionary actions taking place in Iran, right? Of uh, of women revolting, uh, and I think as Westerners, we might. In as much as we have a view of Iran, we have a particularly framed view of Iran, right? Right. I mean, yeah. Uh, and and the older I've gotten, the more I just I just choose not to to know to believe anything, right? <laughs> because right, like right. I, I as I've gotten older, I've come to understand how much everything I think I know about places is explicitly framed by the CIA, basically, uh, and the American <laughs> yes. government writ large, like. To the point where I'm like, well, I just choose not to have. I, it's not that I don't have opinions on what people in the world deserve in their lives. It's just I refuse to, at this point, have opinions about what I think should happen in other people's countries, just because, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I mean, this could as easily be a CIA op as it is a real. You know, you know what I mean. Like, I just can't. I refuse at this yeah. point to try to decide anything because it's none of my. It's not a thing I can do anything about and. It's not that I don't care about other people. It's just that, like, I i mean, like, we literally went through a very similar experience for, like, what, two years? I mean, well, our whole lives with China, right? Like, I don't know. I i know as li- after 20-something years of, like, learning things, I still know absolutely zero about China. You know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes sense? Like, I've learned nothing that I can actually trust, so I just choose to not know anything. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, and I assume. So and, and I for think, me, Iran feels like the same kind of thing, right? It's like I can't trust anything that's told to me by anybody, so I don't know anything. Right, I think that's fair. Um, so where I think it's fascinating is, in as much as we can also trust of us, Kirstami's views I mean, of Iran. I would say a filmmaker from uh, a place is maybe a better source, just in, in general for vibes, if yeah. nothing else, than anything. You know, yeah. maybe not truth, but yeah. It is interesting that all of the Iranian film we've seen so far 
uh, is indicative of a sort of freedom of expression that one would not assume exists, right? Given what yes, we have been absolutely. told about yeah. Iran. Yeah, right. that is that is my, was my takeaway last time, and and I yeah. we were we were less mature at the time, but it is yeah. still kind of my takeaway is like. Well, this seems to be a person operating with a pretty decent amount of filmmaking freedom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this one is even probably more indicative of that than, than the last one, just because, like, this is a wild one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is a yeah. it's a weird movie. Yeah. And this this is a wild one. And also included on the disc here is another semi-feature. Uh, it is a little too long to call it a short, but uh, not... Uh, not uh, it's only like what 70, 70 minutes long. Oh, the <laughs> the um traveler. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The I traveler. mean, it's, a, it's an hour and thirteen minutes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. And the traveler is a very interesting look at poverty within Iran. I, too, yeah, I right? like the traveler quite quite a bit as well. Um. The traveler is interesting, I think. Even more so because it predates the revolution. Um, so we get this picture of direct pre revolutionary Iran. Yeah, I mean, there's there. It is a movie of a of, a, a, of extreme inequality, right? <laughs> like, right. Um, it, it is interesting because it is. I find it fascinating that it was it was paid for by like uh, the educational bureau or something like that. Right. I think, I guess, presumably to like be a moral lesson about like what the kid does basically as he, as he like throws away his sort of relationship with lots of people and burns a lot of bridges to get this thing he wants and then falls asleep instead. <laughs> Feels like there's a moral there somewhere, but uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting that, you know, he falls asleep and not, not only does he sleep through the thing that he did all these bad things to, to master uh he also dreams about how much of a little shit he's been <laughs> as a nightmare yeah, about yeah. I mean, all of it, the bad yeah, things yeah i mean it's, it's very meant sincerely meant to be a sort of moralistic um right uh sort of about tale. yeah and of course from there you could say it's it's about someone about being too obsessed with with soccer or something um or just stay in school and yeah don't be a jerk <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i mean yeah. like you know all all of that's not gonna get like i yeah there's a certain sort of like well all of that is fleeting and it's all gonna fail you in the end yeah um it, it, but it's a neat little movie it kind of has it gives me like it i mean it probably just made me because it's black and white and about a shitty little kid but like it might you know it brings to mind 400 blows um yeah I, that that may just be superficial. I haven't watched 400 Blows in a long fucking time. I think it's been exactly 1,000 years in, <laughs> in uh, you know, Criterion Collection time. In Criterion time, certainly, yes. Yeah, um, but, yeah, I don't, you know, I it just, when I guess it's probably, yeah, it's probably pretty superficial. But, yeah, in the end, it's like, well, yeah, it's got that same sort of feeling of, like, well, here's a a little kid just being... A little kid, which in time, a lot of times involves being pretty shitty. Uh, yeah, in order to get what he wants, and it doesn't really pan yeah. out. 
perhaps the most striking sequence of the traveler is uh, while he is conning all of the other smaller school school children into letting him take their their picture with a broken camera that has no film in it, uh, we just get uh, Kirstrama's camera doing portraits of these kids. Right. So just uh, just a quick sequence of of looks at what children looked like in 1974 Iran is is, is, is also right. interesting as a documentary. Yeah, piece, I mean, and right? and that's true of yeah. like basically everywhere on Earth. I like. I do like films right, that, right, that right, have right. little snapshots of reality at any given time. Uh, I also think it's fascinating that he cons even like not just children, but like also a mom and a bunch of other. Like yes, he's running yes. a, a real confidence scheme here, and it's um, you know it's going to bite him in the ass when he gets home. But I guess he doesn't. You know, yeah. it's, this is too important to him. Yeah, to, it's included to, yeah. here not just as an example of an earlier piece of work from uh, Kirstami, but also Sabzian makes reference to it, compares himself to the main character. Right, and, and the comparisons are pretty the traveling. obvious, right? And, like, right, right. It's yes. all sort of out there. Yes. I, think, uh, I think that the boy's desires in The Traveler are more, uh, more material, than yeah. Sabzians were, uh, so there is a there is a difference there. Yeah, um, Sabzian's not stealing from his parents to sell things to <laughs> to. Well, I mean, Sabzian very noticeably only essentially steals. Like, I mean, Sabzian in the end gets more money. If you, right. I guess, if you add it all, maybe if you add it up all together, but like Sabzian's sort of we we as an audience can look at it and say Sabzian's motivations were more pure in a in a in a strange sort of way in the sense that right. like whereas whereas the little kid is is very much motivated by his own sort of like selfish desire yeah selfish desires that he's going to fulfill come hell or high water right like i mean he he is burning he's just burning bridges left and right like he's going to get home and like not a soul is going to like want anything to do with him none of his friends will like him his parents (laughs) will be disowning him uh uh, you know he's not even going to be welcomed back into school in a way where he will be able to learn anything no Uh, no i mean he's very good at that to begin with and and then you know the the movie and that's you know very clearly you know that dream sequence is supposed to make us just in case you've missed it right this kid has ruined every relationship he has. No one will want to talk to him, essentially, yeah. ever again. Of course, he also is now stranded in Tehran with with probably no money to get back. Right? So, yeah, um, he lacks. Uh, so maybe he, lacks he a lot of planning skills. Yeah, yeah. I really maybe feel he like doesn't in... need to worry. Oh, about because his, his main friend. concern should be because he's yeah. never going to see his family or friends again. Yeah, uh, I I was also thinking. I guess if you want to um, really extend the metaphor out a little bit and think about it like sort of on a meta scale, really in many ways this is about a society failing a child on a really deep level. Um, right. I don't think. I think probably train. You know, bus slash you know train station people bus stations in this situation should probably not just let like eight-year-olds go buy tickets to like faraway big cities <laughs> without i don't know like asking some fucking questions 
Like, yeah. you know, it, it really feels like society or, in a lot of in a lot of um, capacities has failed him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, ah, uh, you know, again, like if you see a child sleeping on a grassy knoll by themselves in the middle of a big city, hey, maybe somebody should like, I don't know, check and make sure he's okay. That's capitalism, baby. What do we care? Yeah. He bought his ticket. He took his ride. And do what he wants. Uh, yeah. It's not well, my problem. I'm not getting paid for this. Accurate, <laughs> but sad. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is one one interesting aspect is that, you know, it... Within this kid's worldview and the worldview of the adults who facilitate his action, there's really a lack of community. Um, but there is the implication of community within the adults of his town at least, right? Right. Uh, because everybody knows his dad. Well, here's and that's the thing, how they... though, right? Like, outside of the bus stop, dude, like, I don't think it's about a lack of community, but it's in many ways about him being unwilling to be a part of his community. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. To, right? Like, absolutely. He, it's not that they that people aren't... I mean, they're not doing a good job. Like, teachers who beat their students are are bad. Yes. Uh Yes. But that is sort of part of what they're seeing as being a a reasonable role for them to be. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't want to be in the role that is assigned to him. And and as such, like, I'm not saying it is necessarily a good community, but the community he has offered, he has rejected. Right? Right. Right. Um, The school we see here is as terrible as any other example of any any school yep. in any movie and, and basically every movie we watch it's almost as if right. like good schools are extremely rare i am particularly uh horrified and fascinated by the method of corporal punishment within that school yeah of uh of uh beating the the palms uh is just i don't know feels particularly mean well, it feels um, mean, and it also feels kind of like counterproductive. It's like you want him to write stuff right. later, right? Like, yeah, of course, of course. The American equivalent here would be uh, a beating across the the buttocks, uh, and then sending someone back to sit in a classroom, right? Uh, is is also counterproductive in the same it way. It is. It is. So, I will say uh, that, like, I I am in no way defending corporal punishment. Okay, let's be very clear here. Yeah. But the buttocks is maybe the the safest place to whack somebody if you're going to whack somebody because it is very fatty and fleshy. It's it is that is fair. That is fair. I you should not hit people. Okay, Don't. the more you know. Disclaimer for the entire audience: it's bad to hit people. I'm glad to hear you and say that, since you're the one of us with children. We uh, one with children and also a teacher. Although I mean, I teach adults. Yeah. I. The the level of inappropriate wouldn't necessarily be any higher because like given the nature of corporate punishment, but like somehow yes. feels even more fucked up in my head. Yes. Like I'm yes. just like Ow. spanking twenty year olds. Now I'm going to jail for other extra reasons. Right, right. It is it is bad uh to the same degree because they are both infinitely bad. Right, exactly. Bad in a very different way as yes, well. Yeah. Um, it, uh, just an extra layer of it's. Uh, it's really more badness. what the charge at at court will be, 
is right, really what it comes right, down right. to. <laughs> right, right. And it, it won't be fraud and attempted fraud. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, getting back to the court case in uh, in in close-up, it is actually also interesting that uh, it would seem that the official... Uh, the official complaint from the family includes attempted burglary, but no one involved in the char- charging process decided to pursue that one. Right, yeah. They and the keep judge... trying to bring it up, and, and even <laughs> yeah. the judge is like, we're not talking about that. Right. This doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it seems like even the police didn't, didn't write it down. It's like, no, that's not... You there's I mean well it's very clear if you have any sort of functioning justice system which I'm not saying they do or anybody else does um, right I mean like there's no evidence of attempted burglary here uh, whatsoever so you know probably best yeah to the leave it the off. assumption of attempted burglary is that when he said hey we should all go see the cyclist together uh, that that was a trick to get them out of the house right so right that- which there's you know again lacks evidence of any right. sort and 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 right. really anything at all other than them just and, and really talks to class positions and stuff right like oh he's, absolutely he's a poor guy the assumption is oh he's trying to get us out of the house and like what would a poor person want to do to get us out of the house other than to rob us right right uh, never never would actually just want to go see a movie that we all yeah like. and go see it at the nice theater <laughs> yeah it's very silly uh obviously everything he does is ultimately absurd but uh man i still i gotta respect the guy no i uh, mean like i i like it, it's interesting i mean i like him it, it, it you know he he apparently his daydreaming does as, as many people point out in in the documentary leads him to tell what are probably not accurately necessarily called lies but like you know Truth and fiction are kind of interchangeable for him, right? Like he doesn't right. see, he doesn't really view the world in those sort of black and white terms. Um, yeah. And 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 a, in, in all seriousness, a a society that is is more utopian than any of the ones we have available to us on this earth uh, would, uh, you know, that would just be a part of understanding who he is, right? Like, oh, this is the guy who. You know, he he lives in his his head a little bit, and he does, and says things that aren't necessarily true. So maybe you take it with a grain of salt. But like, and most of the, and all the people you talk to, pretty much, are like, well, he's not a bad guy. He's just, yeah, just that guy, basically. So another thing that Kiarostami gets into uh, that I think is an, an interesting thing to look at that we haven't mentioned yet is that in doing this film with everyone portraying themselves. Yeah. He's walking a very fine line of how, you know, this is still fresh. Like, this film, you know, obviously the final scene is staged, but still, this movie is made start to from the start of the events to the finality of the last, last strip of film going through the camera is like 40 days. Right. Uh... So everything's still fresh for everyone. We're not right. we're not months of reflecting. We're weeks of reflecting. So to get the Anaka family uh, to agree to be in the movie and be portrayed in the movie is to we have to approach this with the assumption that 
what they're doing in the film is what they believed they did in the real time. Right, right, right yeah. I mean, assuming that, like, uh, Kirostami hasn't, like, put his hand too much on the rudder and changed things, which, again, nobody says that he did. But uh, they would have to have agreed to those changes, which right. I mean, there is they, possibility they of, happened. yes. I mean, one can yeah. assume a little bit, because we even see this with the sun in, like, various scenarios, um, that maybe they're they're modifying it in a positive way because like they're the ones on which the 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 project most firmly rests in the sense that like they're the ones who could shut it down it needs right. their house it needs them like we get the impression that Sabzian's not going to say no right like he's on board right. for this uh so it's really them that could shut it down so if if anything perhaps what we see paints them in a more positive light than maybe is true uh yeah. I would say is the only possible thing that that like they're the only ones with a motivation to to alter it that way, um, and like the sun, you see the sun because the sun is clearly the most embarrassed by what happened. Yes, uh, the dad and the mom seem to be more taking it. Like the dad's annoyed. The dad insists sort of he seems to. The get dad insists he always knew. Right. Yeah. Well. So, but here's what's really interesting. Right. Is that like the sun plays harder on the I always knew than even the dad did like right. the son is even in the in the court and everywhere else being like no 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 my dad knew right from the beginning it's like well and and did it as a lesson to us yes which which the son claims first it's 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 pretty I mean the dad is embarrassed clearly but the son seems to be more embarrassed yeah I I mentioned this actually to mention the arrest scene and the mom, as as he's being arrested, yeah, shouting, Can we have some lunch let him finish first? his lunch. <laughs> yeah, don't let them take him. Until, and, and until again, had, who knows if that's her like representing herself in a better light or not? Like I'm I'm hospitable yeah. even when it's somebody who stole who who's going to steal right. from us or something. Who knows? Yeah, the alternative the alternative is her agreeing to be portrayed as naive, right? As if she is still still on board at the end and i find it hard to believe that less than what are we talking six weeks later uh any of any of the family would agree to be portrayed as more naive than they actually were right or yes. or as naive as they actually were yeah that, uh, seems that, that is unrealistic. what i assume that that <laughs> when we talk about it being close to reality i assume that is sort yeah. of what the the general reference that like Sabzian and other people kind of allude to it being maybe not a hundred. Like they say, it's mostly or almost entirely accurate. I suspect that's what it is. I suspect that they wouldn't agree. They had certain caveats to making it all work, and right. that and that like, and one of them being and, not that like the because like remember, uh, even uh, kind of maybe as a little like maybe. Um, Kirostami maybe making pointing that out a little bit is in that first scene with the taxi driver and everything. It's worth noting that the journalist points out that it's actually the person he knew who, who the journalist says is who identified this as probably fake. In that first right. taxi ride, they're talking and the journalist describes like how he found out about the story. He describes his friend called because right. he thought it was all knows what the guy looks like, knows what uh 
uh, well, I, I've already forgotten his name because it's been so long since <laughs> I said The director it. he's pretending yeah, to yeah, be. Yeah, Mark yes. looks like and and said, I think this is fake. Uh, this is fake. And then, like, there's sort of an implication that perhaps even the family didn't know even until the police showed up and told him. Right. And so I and and sort of like to a certain extent, it sort of seems like Kiarostami is leaving that in there. I mean, obviously that's recorded post, but like they maybe not don't know about that part of the movie. That if you read it just the right way, implies that they had no idea all the way up until the police show up. Right. Which I think is probably more accurate to reality. Right. That like it wasn't them that caught. They didn't like they didn't suss him out using their incredible detective skills. And we've seen we've seen nothing background material on this to suggest that there was some sort of uh agreement that the the Anhankas had that said they would have final edit or something you know so any any scene that they're not in we can assume yeah, yeah, I think you can is basically just do portrayed wants, probably yeah 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 i have to i have to assume that the the scene the opening scene with the journalist and the taxi driver is the journalist portraying or presenting his interpretation of the events accurately, right? Right, and and he doesn't um, really get anything out of like making them look bad, right, or anything like that. Right. So you know. he doesn't get anything out of making them look bad, and honestly, he's not really self-aggrandizing either in that. Which no, is interesting, no. Maybe is he? Yeah. Is he? I didn't actually look at the Wikipedia. Is he is himself as well? Everyone is themselves. Okay. Uh, well, literally I, I thought, everyone you know, in the you movie. Never know. Like, there might be like one yes. person. That happens sometimes no. when we watch no. movies like this, where they'll be like the one right. person they couldn't agree, get to agree, and so that's an actor. Something like uh, that. But seemingly yeah, so everyone, everyone agreed. Literally everyone. Uh, yeah, because like, yeah. and then that comes down to like wh- who's conning who thing again, right? Like, presumably right. that family agreed because it makes them like, especially if they can kind of control the narrative a little bit, they get to be on screen, right? And so is the, the yeah. journalist. Journalist doesn't look great, but like. He gets to be the one who, like, is a, you know, a, a go get him reporter, which, like, looks good for him. Right. I mean, yeah, maybe he's not, like, the best looking in it, but he doesn't look bad exactly. <laughs> he looks a little selfish. Yeah, he doesn't look bad. Yeah. Um, because he is, his primary concern in the whole thing is his own, like, career. But, like, I don't right. think that he thinks or most people would think of that as necessarily a bad thing. So. I think I think the journalist and the Anhankas can both approach this as uh something to brag about in the future that they were in a movie. Right. Yeah, exactly. Show it to your friends. Um, you yeah. you get out the magazine of the uh, you know the brochure of the movie and it's like, "Well, this is me," you know, you Yeah, you 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 drink for free on that for a long time, right? Like, right. Whereas with the with the follow-up documentary with Sabzian it's almost like the aftermath of this movie imprisoned him more in a way. Yeah, it right? does seem that way, right? Like, I mean, his life doesn't become better in any way. I mean, yeah, it's hard to say if it becomes worse. It seems like maybe things have gotten a little worse. Um, yeah, he's not very clear about that in the documentary. It seems. I don't know. I think probably things just have not improved because of the movie or or the con. And the path he was already on has has reached further its inevitability. Right. I think so. Yes. Yeah. And maybe right. maybe yeah. This maybe even made it a little bit even harder to get off that path. But like, he didn't seem like a person 
who is trying necessarily to get off that path in the sense that like again he's not he's not a bootstrap kind of guy right like he right and and he doesn't seem to feel bad about that or anything like that so but it also is true that he his life is hard and seems to still be hard um it, it it's one of those rare situations where we see non-professional actors in movies a lot of times and at least half the time they use it as a springboard to be in other stuff and become at least semi-working actors like Sabzian does not <laughs> appear to have done that at all right like he's not he didn't he didn't you know turn this into any sort of fame in any way as far as I can tell right right which is its own kind of but sadness now, right like it comes that that alone kind of comes with a sort of sadness because this being a movie about a person in a pretty rough situation and then finding out at the end that like nothing got better at all doesn't really feel great as an audience member to think about but right this is a movie that is talking about class uh and unfortunately it ends with class being non-malleable right yeah in this exactly. society he, right he's in the same spot maybe even possibly a worse position and and everybody else got something seemingly positive out of the experience right like you know right literally everybody right the the reporter at maybe maybe they didn't leverage it into anything positive but it was a positive thing for them uh, again right. the the family can can brag about these kind of things and like show people pictures when they come over to visit if nothing else and all that sort of stuff but like yeah and and Kiristami gets like a bunch of awards and becomes even sort of more yeah. famous for this. And then, you know, you got Sabzian who is like, well, it's pretty much exactly yeah. the way they were. Uh, maybe right. a little worse. Now now the other kid is gone. Right. The majority worse. The majority of people's response to Sabzian would would be, Oh, you're that dummy who daydreamed himself into prison. Uh, right. which is yeah, not inaccurate, but also the but, the least. But also, yeah, sad. like the least I mean, gracious again, reading of what happened. His sister or ex-wife, whichever it is, is probably right. You know, some small percentage of people will read, will understand him on a deeper level, and will not read him as the dummy who daydreamed him into himself into to prison, right. and read him in a more what I would think of as a more accurate life light about you know him sort of for at least a short period of time sort of setting himself free uh from from the sort of cage that he's been put in uh but you know that's not going to be everybody right that's going to be a minority not a majority of people i appreciate criterion obviously close up long shot that that bonus feature is something that is so uh inherently dependent on close up that it's really it's got to be a, a bonus feature here. Yeah, yeah, be, and like it would and, be, and it's it's yeah, it's actually pretty important because like honestly, right? I got way more out of the movie because I watched that than than I would have otherwise. Yeah. Like I enjoyed it anyway, right. but like that that bonus feature meant a lot. Yeah, it's it is very good to see uh, Sabzian talk about himself 
with more openness. Even though it's a few years later and he's even more downtrodden, he is able to uh, openly advocate for himself and explain his own position in a way right. where that close-up didn't necessarily allow him to do. No, the court the uh, courtroom scene is the, the closest we get to, like, Sabzian really expressing right. himself. And if it is true that it's written by somebody else, that's shitty. Uh, yeah. I mean, his... I mean, he he is that articulate otherwise. So I mean, that's kind of got its extra right. sort of feeling of like, well, they didn't the guy. You know, he probably didn't need to script it out for him. Um, in fact, I I I looked up on Twitter close up to see what people were saying about it. You know, because I was really impressed with the movie and and I like yeah. to like to see if anyone said anything recently. Um, and a lot of the screen captures that were posted. As, as being from close up were actually screen caps screen caps of uh Subzian talking about his relationship to film from close up long shot not from the actual oh, movie, okay which i found very interesting yeah um, i mean i could kind of see that like as a companion piece it it's really interesting like having seen that alongside the movie it's kind of hard to now imagine not watching it it feels like Close up long shot is almost necessary viewing to like truly understand the movie just because it allows you to get to know Sabzian in a way that the main movie just doesn't, doesn't let you right. Um, the movie has a lot of Sabzian in it, but we don't really learn that much about him in the main movie. Like we, we get a feel for him. Like we, we, we don't know nothing. We don't know nothing. But like, close up long shot is is very illuminating about what kind of person he is, and and he's you know he's very human no matter what yeah right uh, in both in both pieces he is very human um, yeah and it's just watching this movie was a delight uh, yeah I I totally agree I I really 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 liked it I I I was. I, and also, I, I was fascinated by the fact that the movie—I never really could figure out where the movie was going to go at any given moment. Like, right? For like, it's not full of action or anything like that. But boy, you like kind of like—you cannot predict where the movie's going at any given moment at all. I think that's absolutely true. The the entire closing scene where he actually gets to meet Makhmalbaf, uh, while scripted and not actually Makhmalbaf live picking up from prison. Uh, Seemingly, but maybe who knows? Uh, it just it's it's all very very sweet and very beautiful of them spending that time together. Uh, yeah, and and uh, Sabzian breaking into tears is oh no! Even if this isn't really the first time they're meeting, uh, still still feels authentic in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of being overwhelmed about meeting his film hero. Uh, even if it is the second time they've met or or what. Or but, even yeah. more possibly. I mean, and also I think he's just, you know, yeah, it, it seems like it's a very emotional situation for him. And yeah. I suspect it would be emotional for him no matter how many times, and especially since what they're planning to do, right? Like they're planning to drive those it flowers is. over there. I'm sure that is yeah. a pretty emotionally intense experience. It is the time in the film where – no matter how scripted it might be, Sabzian seems to be the closest to playing himself. Yeah. Uh, and and in that, it is emotionally impactful 
moment that I I just really loved. Uh, but yeah, we've been talking about Close Up from 1990, directed by Abbas Kirostami, uh, based on real events and starring the people who actually took place in those real events. We will see more from this director in the future, as we've got at least five more films from him in the Criterion Collection as they exist today, both uh, both slightly earlier works uh, and much later works. Uh, all of his all of his post two thousand films have been released in the Criterion Collection, okay. seemingly as they've come out. Uh, so, I'll be interested to see a a wide variety of his films. I would like to see a wider variety of uh, Iranian films from the Criterion Collection. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest about that. Um, but it is what it is. Yeah, we're going to uh, have to take what we can get at this as of, point. As of today, the Criterion Collection does not contain every film ever released. Not so, yet. Not yet. Always marching toward that. Yeah, but just you wait. Yeah. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about another 2008 film. We've been on a bit of a... Criterion's been on a bit of a 2008 kick in the release yeah. structure. Uh, as we as we are getting stuff that was released in 2009 and 2010, um, so this is like our, our yeah, twelfth 2008 film in the entire catalog. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it, uh, at least in the catalog so far. Every movie that um, came out the year 2008 is in this mo- is in this thing. Yeah, uh, but it is Everlasting Moments, directed by Jan Troll. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm as always the Adam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Oitari Dorian, and we'll see you next time. Bye. been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Overtory Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.